I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Live Wire is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving or cleaning, even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average. And auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. This fall, PBS redefines reality television. On Tuesdays, it's Are You Smarter Than a Mensa Member? What is the cube root of 5,978? Seriously? 18.148969. Egghead. Yeah? Nothing. Wednesdays are explosive with the real housewives of Tudor. Oh, cheerio. Oh, cheerio, darling. Oh, do say hello to Henry. Oh, I shall. Catholic. Protestant. Bitch. Thursday night throws down the gauntlet with So You Think You Can Whittle. The Northern White-Faced Ibis. Spring Plumage. And Friday nights bring it all together with Survivor NPR Edition. I'm Ira Glass. This is day four on the island of Staten and tensions are high. (laughs) Click and clack have pinned Robert Siegel to the side of a makeshift shed and are poking him with shivs made from toothbrushes in old issues of Atlantic Monthly. (laughs) Terry Gross fashioned a bikini from a tote bag and has climbed a coconut tree. She is surprisingly agile and is raining coconuts down on the camp. When Rosetta Casper is collecting Terry's angry harvest and is attempting to make a cactus and rice codette with rat meat and a coconut broth. Ow! Oh, no! Michelle Norris took one in the head. Castle, get out of there! Carl, run in a serpentine pattern! Oh, God, it's like Lord of the Flies down here. Please, somebody help. And finally, Saturday nights, it's Ice Road Truckers meets Hoarders with a dash of celebrity rehab. It's... It's... On the world's best utility bike competition, comedian Dwight Slade, and music from acapella sensation on the rocks. That's tonight on Livewire Radio. Welcome to the show. I'm your host, Courtney Haumeister. And you also have more comedy from Faces for Radio Theater to look forward to. Poet Scott Poole with What I Learned Tonight wherein Scott sits in our audience, and in just one hour, the time it takes Billy Collins to find his commemorative poet laureate cufflinks after a night of poetic debauchery, he writes a poem that encompasses all he's learned. And music from our house band, Ralph Huntley and the Mutton Chops. Thanks, Ralph. Now, I mentioned earlier that we were having Rob Forbes and Tinker Hatfield on the show. These are two design innovators who are here in Oregon to judge a competition to design and build the ultimate modern utility bike. 
And this got me thinking about innovation and how it must be to lead a team in creating something that no one has even thought of yet. Because innovation is change, and change is particularly scary when you're a creative person. Because I think that there are aspects of creativity that we think are kind of magic. We don't know when inspiration is gonna hit us, we don't feel like we have any control over it. So when things are working, oftentimes we'll say, don't touch it. Just don't, no, don't, don't do anything different. Just, why are you breathing weird? You're breathing weird. Just, you know, just stop breathing. You know, Eleanor Roosevelt once said, do one thing a day that scares you. I say, shut up, Eleanor Roosevelt. Do you know how many things scare me already? <laughs> Possible government shutdown? Aerosol cheese? The fact that leg warmers have been popular not once, but twice in our country's history? <laughs> Who is in charge of this? So a lot of things scare me, but, but change scares me the most. And in his book, The Psychology of Persuasion, Robert Cialdini gives a possible explanation for why. What he says is that when things change, we as humans are hardwired to hunker down in the safe spots that we know because back in the Stone Age, if some huge change happened, sticking to the terrain you knew might have been the difference between survival and being killed by a mammoth, which makes perfect sense because another thing I'm afraid of is being killed by a mammoth. So we stick to our terrain, right? We walk it every single day, and it's comfortable, and it's well-worn, and nicely furnished. I have a few creative ruts that I've now furnished with brightly covered IKEA Ektorps and Skruvtas that are both comfortable and functional. <laughs> but what if it was my whole job to innovate, to come up with ideas that no one had ever thought of before? How do you start to take a path that no one has even seen yet? Henry Ford said, if I asked consumers what they wanted, they would have asked for a faster horse. <laughs> it seems like everything we think we want is based on stuff we already have. The flint of a light bulb sure looks like a candle. My computer keyboard looks a lot like a typewriter keyboard. Lady Gaga looks very human-ish. <laughs> so it seems like our only choice if we want anything different to happen is to get comfortable with discomfort to climb out of our plush ectorps and scrovtas, use our pottery barn curtains to scale up the sides of our ruts, and stand in the ancient tundra staring down the mammoth with nothing but the flashlight app on our iPhone to protect us. <laughs> and maybe it'll end well, you know? How do we know it's not one of those friendly mammoths? They look a lot like snuffleupaguses, actually. And maybe we'll say, um, <clears throat> hey, you know, there's been a lot of innovation in the field of hair conditioning in the past few million years, so I could totally help you tame whatever is going on with your fur situation. <laughs> and he'll be grateful, and we'll go about creating things no one's ever seen, except the Danish. Those IKEA bastards have thought of everything. <laughs> So the University of Oregon's a cappella group On the Rocks has been performing every week on campus for over 10 years now. But in 2009, something different happened. They performed a choreographed version of Lady Gaga's Bad Romance, and they just, you know, let's just put this on YouTube and see what happens. And the YouTubes exploded, and it got over 7 million views, and it got them a spot on NBC's Sing Off, where they made it to the semifinals. They only wear... They only wear matching bow ties and boaters under extreme duress. Please welcome On The Rocks to Livewire. Oh, baby, I'm gonna go out with a stay tuned. 
Fellas. Thanks. Yeah, for our radio audience, there are three of them. And that was amazing that you managed to do that. No, there is ten. Am I counting ten? Nine. 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 I did not finish college, you guys. Uh, just finished college, people, is all I'm saying. Um, actually, I did want to ask, um, you're sort of like Menudo in this way. When you're in an acapella group, you, you age out of the group, right? You, you have to, to graduate and leave the group. Do you have people who are just, just holding on to the doorway that you can't... <laughs> it looks like they're looking at a couple of members. I mean, what's the longest that someone has ever been in on the rocks? And this is Jeff Rogers speaking. Yeah. Oh, hi. Um, I'd say, I think, four years. Longest. Well, <laughs> we don't really keep track of those things. So. <laughs> Are you on an eight-year plan <laughs> for graduation? No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm close. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, we won't talk about it in front of your parents. Yeah. Um, so you guys were a really successful a cappella group um, for you know a great university, University of Oregon. Yes, it's great. And. But what happened with the sing-off was gigantic. How did you guys deal with such tremendous changes in that year? Um, it was tough. I mean, they contacted us, and we went and auditioned for the sing-off. And it was an adjustment, but it was all filmed over the summer, so we were able to, like, adapt into it. But then, like, coming back to campus was, like, last year we had so many gigs. So yeah. it was hard to balance with school, but everyone loves what they do, so it's been a blast. Um, and you do have to arrange these songs, and people are essentially playing instruments. So how do you decide who plays what instrument? I play the low ones. <laughs> and I play all the high ones. That's how it works. That's how it works. <laughs> so Ben Folds was one of the sing-off judges. Yes. And he, um, he has a cappella groups around the country. For, for years, he's had a cappella groups singing his songs. Um, very popular, and he's a huge advocate for a cappella groups. What, did he give you guys any words of wisdom while you were on the show? He did flip us off once. Yeah, that was pretty cool. <laughs> That's not very wise. <laughs> um, to a college group, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I would say, um, I mean, the best advice I think that he gave us was that we just needed to step our, our artistry. We were like a really high energy, like a large group. So we just had to focus up on the music. And then once we did, I mean, it really helped us stay till almost the end. Yeah, semifinals. Yeah. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Um, it, music education is suffering a lot in schools right now. So what just, and, and anybody can talk about this, like what would have happened to you if, if not for music education? 
I probably would have graduated in four years. <laughs> Not helping. <laughs> well, and also, it just seems like, I mean, this, this feels like you know, these young upstart kids. It's, if, you're, if you watch Jersey Shore or, uh, it, or, it, or any MTV re, uh, real world show, it appears that college uh, is made up essentially of uh, jello shots and drinking uh, liquids out of navels, people's navels. Um, is, it, is it hard to be in a group that needs this much time and commitment? when all of that's going on around you? Well, we all have navels, uh, like, we can just... Kind of... <laughs> Sharing is caring. You just take care of it all right there at rehearsal, and then you start singing. That's fine. Fantastic. Rehearsal. You know what you guys are? Multitaskers. <laughs> Excellent. Well, you guys are going to come sing one more song for us at the end of the show. That is true. Thank you so much for joining us on The Rocks, everybody. Music tonight is brought to you by Dave's Killer Bread and the bread of the week, nuts and grains. Packed with nuts and cracked and rolled grains, it's a bread for humans that squirrels might enjoy, which means you might want to take your sandwich inside, away from their beady little eyes and super creepy squirrel squeak. Protect your lunch, Dave's Killer Bread, making the world a better place, one loaf of bread at a time. Son, I saw you with those show choir kids this afternoon at the mall doing that flash mob on the escalators. Dad, I didn't... Don't I, lie was, to me, Tim. I was there. I saw everything. It was just show choir, Dad. Just show choir? Show choir is a gateway club, and you know it. <laughs> they draw you in with promises of Broadway, but before you know it, you're in the chorus of Joseph and the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat at the Bertold Brecht Steak and Waffle Shack in Decatur. Dad, they say I have an amazing voice. They'll say anything to get you into sparkly tap pants and a fly wire. At least they accept me for who I am. I do accept you. What I won't accept is anyone in this family using journey songs to express their innermost feelings. Journey perfectly captures my emotional highs and lows. I won't stop believing, and you can't make me. And what's next? What's next? Breaking into seamless and suspiciously complex choreography at baseball practice? Majoring in stage combat at a small but expensive liberal arts college? With a minor in movement, yeah. Might as well sign up to be a waiter now, son. Where on earth did you learn that this was acceptable behavior? You, all right? I learned it from watching you. I found your Godspell playbills. Tim, that was many years and many regional revivals of Starlight Express ago. You ever try scrubbing the glitter and the dreams out of your hair in a gas station bathroom at 1 a.m. because you don't want your wife to know you're in the chorus again? Look, Dad, this is something I have to do. This is my life. My rod's here. All night, all night, oh, every night. Tim, please. I gotta go, Dad. <sighs> all night, all night, oh, every night. Did you say something, Dad? No, -uh, nope, have fun. That was Darius Pierce and Paul Glazier with sound effects by David Ian. You're listening to Livewire with music, conversation, and comedy. It's like a chew toy for your brain. Coming up on Livewire, comic Dwight Slade, public bikes Rob Forbes, Air Jordan creator Tinker Hatfield, and poet Scott Poole with What I Learned Tonight. We'll be right back. <laughs>
Welcome back to LiveWire. Our next guest has been a stand-up comic for over 20 years, having snuck out of his parents' house at 14 to play open mics with comic Bill Hicks. He's appeared on HBO, Comedy Central, The Tonight Show. He's appeared at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival and for our troops in Afghanistan. Additionally, he has a very healthy head of hair. Please welcome Dwight Slade to LiveWire. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right, I didn't bring the toy monkey, so can we just cut it, please? Hey, everyone. How's everyone doing? Yeah. Isn't it great to be on Northeast Alberta? Don't you love Northeast Alberta? You know, have you ever... You've seen those bumper stickers everywhere, keep Portland weird, right? And you come here and you go, yeah, we did it. All right. <laughs> Mission accomplished. You spend three hours here and you go back home and you will privately go in your closet and wear dockers just to remember conformity. <laughs> I need that, though. It's been a hell of a month for me. This is my month so far, finally, out of a four-year relationship. Uh, thrilled that I have the GED. Uh, there's more. Hold on. That's not it. I got more. I, lo I lost my brother this month. Found him, though. We're at Target. He's an idiot. He's 27. He's playing peekaboo. We got to go! I can see you! Lost my job. I work as a substitute teacher for homeschoolers. And... You know, one unscheduled field trip. Amber alert, whatever. <laughs> I think kids need to see a Hooters. Sorry, I'm an educator. <laughs> but I have been getting irritable a lot. I got a friend of mine who inserts punctuation into his sentences when he talks. You know people like that? I don't like driving at night, period. <laughs> oh, the sentence is over. I came out of nowhere. Can I try that? I'm going to paint my house. Semicolon. I like red. <laughs> I find you annoying. Exclamation point. <laughs> Asterisk. See below. Bag. <laughs> I get irritated by people who uh, don't know their own heritage. I'm half Irish, half Italian, half Norwegian. It's three halves, buddy. You got a dwarf in your pants? What are we doing? You're going to be stupid, talk softer. <laughs> I know, I feel like I'm getting too cynical in life. This happened to me this summer. I'm at home, and my neighbor across the street from me fell off his ladder, and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen in my life. Now, how did I get to that point in my life where comedy is a man bleeding in his driveway? He's one of those busybody neighbors who has a perfect yard. He's out there, 8.30, vacuuming his roses. <laughs> I mean, I don't know the guy because it's Portland and you don't know your neighbors. You just stare at them through your mini blinds. <laughs> look at this. <laughs> Making me look bad. <laughs> if he looks over here, I'll kick his ass. I will. I will. Oh, he's looking. <laughs> That's all we are as neighbors, aren't we? These paranoid eyes glaring at each other through mini blinds. Car door slams at four in the morning. What the hell is he doing getting home at three in the morning over here? I'm trying to eavesdrop. Oh, he's looking. So this guy's up on his ladder and he's putting caulking on his chimney, which is sealant. I'm looking at him going, why is he leaning over so far on that ladder? That can't be safe. I don't know a lot about ladders or geometry, but this appears to be an obtuse angle. <laughs> and as I'm watching, he just whoop, goes over. And my response, I swear, is, oh my God. <laughs> he fell off the ladder. I gotta call 911. Can you get down here? This idiot fell. <laughs> no, I'm not laughing. I'm upset. He's a friend of mine. Is he breathing? I don't know. Hold on.
But I feel better now, though, because I found out my Native American totem is a bear. I found that out when I was in Alaska, which is good news because bears can maul you to death. And that's how I want to go. Because there's no ambiguity about mauling. There's no lingering questions when you're mauled, okay? Funeral's very short, coffin closed, everyone splits. That's the thing I want to avoid in my life is when I die, I don't want people in the back of the funeral home whispering to each other about how I died. Did you hear how they found him? Well, I guess he was nude <laughs> in the bathroom, and he'd eaten an entire bag of kettle corn. And I guess he was straining. His heart gave out and he fell forward into the tub with his ass in the air. And I guess that's how he was for a couple of days. And I guess some raccoons got in there. And they made a nest. And that's how his daughter found him. And I guess she tried to claw her own eyes to unsee what she had seen. And the wake is at 5.30. I'm bringing a salad. So enjoy. Thank you guys very much. Thank you. Dwight Slade, and you're listening to Livewire Radio, radio variety for the ADD generation. Jane, can you send in the next contestant? You bet. Hi. You can pretty much end the contest now. This is definitely the ultimate modern utility bike. Well, great. Let's get going. This is the best bike ever. The apex of utility meets the finest in luxury. It's function plus style plus comfort. Check it out. I've got built-in protection from the weather, a radio slash CD player slash iPod plug-in, the most cup holders and storage space you've ever seen, and the softest seats you've ever felt. That's right, I said seats, dude, plural. This baby seats up to five. Interesting, are you sure what you've got there is a bike? Mm -mm, not just a bike, the bike. Get this, you don't even have to pedal it. I know, right? It runs all by itself on an amazing resource that comes directly from the Earth. You know, this sure looks a lot like... The most luxurious and impressive utility bike in the world? A car. It looks like a car. No, it, it runs on stuff the Earth makes. Yeah, that's oil. Your bike is a car. It's the next step in evolution of human transit. It's got four wheels, four doors, and a hatchback. You just... All right, look at this. You covered up Tercel and wrote bike. But... Man, it... You're going to need to leave now. Unbelievable. Hey, Jane? Yeah? you got to screen these for me. I do screen them. What was my last appointment here for? New bike design. Nope. Car. No way. Yes way. Can I see the proposal? Here. Yes, you see, you see right there, there is a picture on page three, and it is a picture of a car, Jane. Really? Yes, this has been happening a lot. How many more of these bicycles do I have today? D all of them? Really? Well, hang on. Oh, yeah. Ah, this one's a car. Car... Car. Wow, this one's a car. Oh, this one's definitely a bike. No, damn it. It's a car. Yeah, wow, these are all cars. Right. Well, you're pretty. What if, um, what if bikes were called cars? And, like, what if trees were called feet? That'd be weird, right? Leave. 
Oh, okay. Uh, you want me to get you lunch? Well, yesterday I asked for a Dagwood Club and you brought me an Irish setter. Uh-huh. So I guess today I'll have a West Highland Terrier short hair variety. Okay, on rye hold the mayo. Perfect. Okay, see you soon. Oh. Oh. Wait, have you seen my bike key? Just go. That was Paul Glazier, Darius Pierce, and Trisha Ferguson. This weekend in Portland, there will be an event called the Oregon Manifest Constructors Design Challenge. It is a competition in which 28 teams from 10 states have gathered in an attempt to design and build the ultimate utility bike. Teams are made up of self-taught bike builders, one-of-a-kind craftsmen inspired by the French constructeur period, bike companies, bike advocates, and enlightened mechanical engineers. Tonight, we have two of the judges of that competition. Rob Forbes is here. He is the founder of Design Within Reach and Public Bikes. He is a lifetime bicyclist and a longtime advocate of programs that reduce our dependence on cars. And Tinker Hatfield is here, who oversees the Innovation Kitchen at Nike and is the designer of the Air Jordan shoe. Please welcome Rob Forbes and Tinker Hatfield to Livewire. Welcome to the show, you guys. Thanks, thanks, Courtney. Thank you for joining us. I know you've had a had a busy day. You're actually you've started the judging process today. Yeah, from uh, eight o'clock this morning until five thirty this evening. Wow. Well, thanks for joining us on such a busy day. Um, I wanted to first talk about um, you have both imagined something and then actually created it into the world. Uh, Rob, for you, it's been furniture and bikes, and Tinker, for you, it's been uh, shoes, like the Air Jordan. What does it feel like the first time as a designer to see someone use something that you've invented out of your head? There you go. Well, I'll, I'll take that one, I guess. Um, I've had the good fortune to work with a lot of great people, a lot of great ath athletes, and um, it, uh, it's, it's really um, kind of an amazing and fortunate thing for a designer because the athletes make you look so much better than you really are. <laughs> That's what I think. Most of the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, for me, it's sort of like the most like gratifying experience because you, you, you work all the time and like Matt and, and, and struggling all the time. And then you're, you know, you're going home and you'll see somebody riding one of your bikes that doesn't know you with a smile on their face. And you realize that that's the reason that you're in business is to make people happy. Yeah. Um, so you are here for this utility bike challenge. Can you explain what a utility bike is? Um, it's a bike that's probably used first for pragmatic purposes rather than rec for recreational purposes. It can be used for commuters. It can be for people transporting uh, large volumes of things or for, for restaurants or, or any practical, um, probably urban purpose. Yeah, a lot of the bikes we've seen today already are uh, cargo-type bikes, um, but, but also they're a little, maybe a little bit more versatile than that, so they can actually get people from A to B uh, comfortably as well. Well, and, and isn't part of what they're doing with this trying to kind of shift people's perceptions? I read that, that in, uh, in Europe, people think about bikes as a way of transportation, whereas in the United States, it's largely thought of as, as recreational. You know, Europe is, in Northern Europe especially, is, is way ahead of the U.S. in terms of um, um, people that use alternative forms of transportation, bikes and walk and all that. But I have to say that the U.S. actually leads the world in um, quality, handmade, handcrafted bicycles. And Portland's actually the. Yeah. And well, Port, I Port, Portland's actually the sort of the epicenter for it. I have to sort of say that it's it's really crystallizing here. It's a really Fantastic. big deal. Well, the the world's two most bike friendly cities are Amsterdam and Portland. Um, Amsterdam has 40% of their traffic movement by bicycle. Um, Eugene, Oregon, is the highest in the U.S. city in terms of traffic with 5.6%. So, how did Amsterdam get there? And, and how can we get there? Well, Amsterdam's uh, like been like that is back to prehistory, probably. It's like the yeah. Dutch are born with a bicycle kind of underneath them. But, um, uh, and they've, they've benefited by the fact that their um, um, you know, major urban areas just haven't been overcrowded by cars. It's sort, of, it's sort of a way of life there. It's pretty simple. So what kinds of, what kinds of innovations did you guys get to see today? Well, I will tell you that I thought I was kind of okay at designing, but after today, um, 
I tell you what, there's some incredibly talented young designers in this town, and we saw evidence of it in, in the bicycles. Um, there were bicycles today that, uh, that were unlike anything I've ever seen before, and they were beautiful as well. So it was a pretty, pretty interesting day. Yeah, bicycles that uh, adapt. These guys have to take these bikes on a 50-mile trek tomorrow to prove that they're street-worthy and carrying large loads of things and total amazing innovations in, in things like light, um, um, lock technology, um, storage systems. It's kind of an, an infinite number of uh, problems and challenges that these guys are solving. And do you guys actually get to ride the bikes that you're Unfortunately, judging? Unfortunately, we don't. No, you don't. We have, to, kind of no, have to ride in a car out there and check them as they go by. <laughs> right. Well, and as people who Put create things like this, um, what would it feel like for you guys to, to come up with a new product and just have all of these? There are four or five judges who are judging all of these. Uno, dos, cuatro. There, there, are, there are four judges, and then there is a judge who is kind of helping us judge, who's done it before, so... Mm-hmm. <laughs> so do you have any empathy for these designers? What it might feel like to have somebody sort of picking over your creations? Uh, I think you, you, you very much identify with them and feel like for all of us that are in the creative world, you know that most of what we make are mistakes. And every now and then you come up with something that's brilliant. So you're pretty much used to that kind of stuff. What do you do when you make a mistake? Because there's, you generally have a lot invested. You have money and time invested in something like that. So how do you keep your, how do you just keep going when you, when you, come across something that doesn't quite work as well as you'd like? Well, you hope you have some uh, understanding uh, benefactors along the way, which is always good if you work for a big company like I do. Uh, mm -hmm. you get, uh, you, you, I think you get some leeway to make some mistakes. And in fact, uh, uh, someone quoted uh, maybe John Wooden not too long ago, um, and uh, he used to say that the team that makes the most mistakes wins. And uh, so I think making mistakes is actually part of the process of really coming up with something new and better and special. I think you forget about it really quickly and move on really fast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> He's a true businessman. <laughs> well, for a long time, the, the car was this American icon of design innovation, and it feels like that era might be over in the United States. Do you feel like that's something that might happen with, with bikes? In this country? I think the bikes are, are one of the things that, that has contributed to that. I think, but I think that, um, particularly with the youth movement now, I think that they're a lot more interested in things like you know, connectivity and, and, and smartphones and the way that we communicate. But they're interested in connectivity probably better than mobility that, that a, an older generation might have been more interested in. Yeah. Well, what have you seen that urban people, and, and Public Bikes is a company that creates bicycles for urban environments. Right. So what have you seen that, that people who ride bikes in urban environments are clamoring for right now? Uh, for simple, in, in our area, it's really simple, practical bikes that you can, um, where you can wear any kind of clothes that you want and just use in, in, in on, a, on a daily basis with, that make it kind of effortless and, and, and simple. And Without also, having the mud fly up on your back right, and have that, that line. And, and I think they like bikes that are, that are attractive and fashionable and kind of cool and different and things that they can personalize themselves in the same way that we, the way that we dress. Yeah. What do you think is at stake in this country if we don't shift to more sustainable modes of transportation? I think there are massive things that are at stake, actually. I think that the, the rethinking of ourselves as a consumer culture kind of begins with some of the biggest things that we've been consuming, which deal with automobiles and, 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 and oil. So I think there's a lot of stuff at stake. And I think health is another big issue. You know, we need to, we need to really encourage people to get out and just be more active, and certainly being on a bicycle uh, helps with that. Sure, absolutely. Um, so it is, I feel like, we've talked a little bit about just sort of changing people's mindsets about bikes not just being for recreation anymore. Um, so is that just about making a great design so that they change the way that they think, or are there other ways that we can kind of make that shift happen? Well, I, I, I think uh, you... you I think you said it well. That's, uh, I, think you, I think you do have to have a great product, and I think you have to tell a great story about that product. I think it has to be desirable and cool, and I, I'm, I'm here to tell you that I actually have uh, three public bicycles in my office. Actually, we ride them around the campus <laughs> because they are so cool. They are very cool. I, I think it's also just, um, you know, all of our lives are, like, stressful and hard, and, and to come up with objects that put a smile on people's face and, and give them everyday kind of pleasure and satisfaction and, and just make life a little bit more fun. Right. Right. Um, so you also, there were also six student uh, teams. Did you see some inspiring stuff from the students? I would say that I think we almost, we, 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 yeah. 
Yeah. We, we can't. We can't give it I don't, out. Can I, we? I don't we think it. we can talk too much about a particular team, but uh, the the student teams that we that we did see were very impressive, and uh, and in particular, there was a presentation by a, a young boy from New Jersey who I, I just thought he was Abdul. just Abdul, and he did a great job. Scared to death, but he nailed his presentation for a good uh, like four minute segment, just word for word. It's perfect. Two, two of the uh, uh, most well received uh, submissions to the contest were from these groups. It's great. Can you describe one of the kind of more interesting bikes that you saw? Ooh. You want to take the, the hometown favorite? Yeah. Uh, well, um, they're, they're, by the way, yeah, Portland is home to the, the largest, um, I'd say, the largest number of uh, handmade bicycle makers in the, in the, in the country. So there is, is a ton of local talent, and I think we saw some great stuff from, from the local guys and, the, and girls. So it was pretty cool. We do have, um, I think, the world's largest or only naked bike ride in Portland, Oregon. <laughs> Are there... Are there any innovations that might make that event more pleasant for its riders? <laughs> uh, I'll Seat condoms? Uh, there probably is one out there. I haven't seen it, but I don't know. <laughs> it would probably come from Portland if it was invented. Right? Yeah. Well, we will look forward to seeing uh, the results of the competition. And they can, I think it's or, or, uh, OregonManifest.org. Right. is where they can go for more information. Uh, thank you for joining us, and enjoy uh, judging tomorrow. Yeah. It was great having you guys. Yeah, Rob Forbes us. and Tinker Hatfield, right. everybody. You're listening to LiveWire, radio variety for those distracted by shiny mental objects. We'll be right back. Doctor, if you experience headaches, nausea, dizziness, swelling, side anxiety, effects include loss of vision, fever, mouth, chills, upset stomach, loss of appetite, chest pain, nervousness, fainting, constipation, insomnia, spastic stop, bladder. Stop! Stop! So many side effects, so little time. Isn't there a single medication I can take that will give me all the side effects I'm looking for without the time and hassle? Yes. Today's popular side effects can take forever to acquire when taking dozens of prescription drugs. Wouldn't it be wonderful if you could attain all of these debilitating side effects with just a single non-prescription medication? Well, now you can with Sidefectin. Sidefectin? Sidefectin produces all the side effects you need at a fraction of the cost. You'd have to take a confusing array of pharmaceuticals like viacinine, perplexia, and fornicant to equal the number and severity of side effects you can expect with just a single dose of Sidefectin. Sounds great, but will Sidefectin give me the variety of side effects I need? Sidefectin will continually surprise you with side effects you've never even imagined. Like hobbit feet, wandering bowel, Lungfish, multiple GSWs, zipper lips, adult onset fontanelle, easy chair, corn nuts, and restless labia syndrome. Wow, that's amazing. 
Even extremely rare side effects, such as spontaneous scrotal combustion, can be induced with less than one-fifth the recommended dosage of conventional testicular incendiaries. You mean testicular incendiaries like combustible and conflagabag? And four times the strength of best-selling hand grenades. Better than hand grenades? Amazing! Well, what are you waiting for? Buy some today. You bet I will. Thanks, Sidefectin. Ask your doctor if Sidefectin is right for you. Side effects include all of the above. Not intended for use by lawyers or humans with access to lawyers. Sidefectin, from the makers of Extra Strength Class Action Law Sutra. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, on the rocks. Celia, you're breaking my heart. You're shaking my confidence daily. Oh, Cecilia, I'm down on my knees. I'm begging you please to come home. Celia, you're breaking my heart. You're shaking my confidence daily. Oh, Cecilia, I'm down on my knees. I'm begging you please to come home. who's been toiling away in the audience while we've been playing. To sum it all up for us, please welcome poet Scott Poole. What I Learned Tonight by Scott Poole. I learned tonight that I want to start a reality show. I think it should have a duck in it. (laughs) And a man who's just fallen off a ladder bleeding in his driveway. (laughs) See, you gotta have the nature and the drama. Now, that's reality. Men bleeding in their driveway and ducks could never be taken for granted, kind of like a poet. Here's a duck swimming across a pond. Here's a duck eating Dave's killer bread. Here's a duck singing a journey song. Wait, what? You never know at seven in the morning if you're near a fog-covered pond, whittling, of course, like I heard how they do it on NPR, from behind a mini-blind. <laughs> Terry Gross calling from a tree. Now the news. Now the news. Now the news. Very peaceful. You never know if a single mallard condescends to step from on the rocks and glide across green water out into the fog. It could just be another morning, but shut up, Eleanor Roosevelt. (laughs) Period. Exclamation point. You just don't know when inspiration is going to hit. You never know when a duck is going to split the silence to sing, You should have been gone! (laughs) Quack. 
No in hell. Um, quack. I made you fail. Quack. You have to get to the pond pretty early to hear the Steve Perry duck, but he's there. So here's my reality show. You got a duck doing a perfect Steve Perry. Boy, this is getting good, I tell you. Then maybe, I don't know, you have a pair of Nike shoes to interview. Sure, why not? Shoes I can ask complex, penetrating, gotcha questions like Katie Couric does to important political figures. Like, so what magazines and newspapers do you read? Pan to the shoes. They say nothing, tongue hanging out like a couple of idiots with hand grenades. Okay, no shoes on my reality show. A show with a guest like that would be terrible. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have a guy on a utility bike. A utility bike so handy that it can carry the same amount a giant Dodge truck does. In fact, it will be a Dodge truck. Just instead of wheels, it will have four bicycles. Now all I need is three more people to power my car. Anybody want to be on a reality show? Thank you. Scott Poole, everybody. Before we end tonight's show, we wanted to bring back a performance from one of our favorite bands, Amelia. Amelia is a torch-infused Americana band featuring Jesse Emerson and Scott Weddle, and it was fronted by Tisha Helgerson. They were the musical guest on the very first Livewire show, and they were known for smart lyrics, beautiful melodies, but mostly for Tisha's gorgeous, sultry voice. When Tisha passed away on September 29, 2011, the music world lost an extraordinary voice, and we lost a great friend. Here's a song from Amelia's performance on Livewire in 2008. It's from their album, A Long, Lovely List of Repairs. Good night, and thanks for listening. Please welcome Amelia to Livewire.
Dave Jorgensen, and Jim Brunberg. Tonight's show was made possible in part by our sponsors, New Belgium Brewing Company, Whole Foods Market, Dave's Killer Bread, and our newest sponsor, Burgerville. Introducing Burgerville Radio, featuring music from Northwest musicians in all their restaurants. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and Work for Art, the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation, and listeners like you find people. Hotel accommodations generously provided by the Hotel Deluxe. Our executive producer is Robin Tenenbaum. The show is produced by Courtney Hommeister and Jim Brunberg. The faces for Radio Theater are writers Sean McGrath and Courtney Hommeister, performers Darius Pierce, Paul Glazier, and Trisha Ferguson, with sound effects by David Ian. Additional show writers are Jason Rouse, house poet Scott Poole, and Temple Lentz. Faces for Radio Theater was directed by Jason Rouse. Our recording engineer is Jonathan Newsom. House sound by Scott McLeod. Stage management by Matt King, with thanks to Rose City Sound. Show theme by Courtney Von Drele and Ralph Huntley. Livewire was created by Kate Sokoloff and Robin Tenenbaum. For more information about Livewire or to subscribe to our podcast, visit livewireradio.org. Wouldn't it be amazing to have a piping hot episode of Livewire delivered right to your heart and ears each week? Well, guess what? That can happen when you subscribe to the Livewire podcast feed and you'll get the joy of surprising conversation every week. So go ahead and do it. It's super easy. You click on the button at the top of your podcast app and bam, you are Livewire subscribed. And if you're still, you know, feeling the love, if you're enjoying the show, hey, maybe you could hook us up and uh, leave us a quick review. That'll help more people find out about Livewire. And thank you.